This episode of See Here is sponsored by TR. Fuck the man. podcast. So grateful to have your company here. Uh, my name is Morris and I am joined by Mr. Bernie Stickwell, Esquire. Hello. Mr. Tim Merrill. Well, he would be Esquire if he uh, were of the Empire, but uh, good evening, Tim. Hey. And joining us for the first time in a couple of episodes, we've missed her. Ms. Wendy Freeman. Hey, your friend. Welcome all. We're well truly into double figures now, so that's it. You know, this is no fly-by-night operation, this podcast. Before we sort of like go any further as to what we've been up to in recent times, we should say that the film that we're going to discuss this time around is Bernie's choice. It's Penelope Spheris's film of 1984 called Suburbia. So we'll be getting into that in a little while and finding out why Bernie picked this one and what our thoughts are. But let's do a quick round table as to... Um, things that we've been listening to or watching in recent weeks. And Wendy, it's been so long since uh, we've spoken to you. It seems like an eternity. Wendy, yeah. what have you been up to? Uh, today, I just uh, came in, I came in like fourth or fifth in a chili cook-off. Oh, it was really exciting. Tell me, it was, a, tell me it was out of a hundred other No, cooks. it was out of like ten, but I still won something. It was still fun, you know. But I made a smoky beef and bacon chili. Mm-hmm. I had experimented, uh, Bernie, I had experimented with making a, a vegan uh, buffalo cauliflower chili, and that came out good. Oh, man, I did. Oh, why? Are you, are you going to send yeah. some of that to me? Yes, yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up. Good. I'll put it in dry ice. That won't be expensive. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, once but, we finish recording, I'll be sat by the uh, the front door with my knife and fork waiting for it to arrive. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, my uh, it went it went very well, and it was a comic shop, so the prize I won won like a big hardcover book of Batman covers, and that was really nice. You oh, know, nice. So. That's awesome. Yeah, Tell me, Wendy, yeah. how would it be? Um, would you consider entering a vegan chili into a chili cook-off? Would you just be sort of laughed out of it, or no, no? Because I mean, it's 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 generally pretty half and half with veggie chilies and so. So last year I made a lentil. It was a it was a Thai lentil chili that I made last year, and it came out very good. I used like you know the red curry paste and lime juice and coconut milk and stuff, and it was so that actually uh, uh, placed well last year as well. So I usually I like to experiment. I like making some very experimental chilies. So. I've heard that about you, Wendy. I've heard you like to experiment, so. <laughs> I saw a movie that's, that we will definitely be talking about at length at some point in time. Oh, yeah. Called Whiplash. Whiplash. So it's, um, is that like a, a sequel to Fifty Shades of Grey or something? Well, you know, it's much better because you got J.K. Simmons verbally abusing people, so. <laughs> no, this, he, his, um, his character really reminded me of uh, Lee R. Ermey, or was it R. Lee Ermey? in uh, Full Metal Jacket, but I think that point's been made across the board. I will be immensely excited to be talking with you about this on the podcast sometime next year or 
whenever it is that you choose. Well, whenever it's available for everybody to to uh, watch, we'll we'll do that. So maybe so next I, year's... I heard basically this was the Buddy Rich story. Well, if it was about Buddy Rich's kids, I get you know because it was now Buddy Rich wasn't abu- he was the abuser. Right, but that's what I'm saying. Like you know, but yeah. this guy, the character in the in the film, seems like he's like full on like Buddy Rich was. Yeah, he's pretty. He's pretty crazy town. He's pretty bonkers, but. It's an interesting. It's it's funny because as a, as a music teacher, you know, I watched it and I thought to myself, I thought to myself two things. I thought, man, I really should have practiced harder in school. And, <laughs> and I thought, man, I wish my kids would practice harder. <laughs> I wish my kids gave a shit about pleasing me. There's plenty to discuss about this. I got into this discussion with uh, one of my wife's friends after we came out of the cinema, and her interpretation of the ending of the film was completely different from mine. And I told her yeah, my interpretation, and she said. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it like that. No, it was completely obvious to me, but I'd be interested to see how many people sort of took her interpretation. And I, you know, we obviously don't want to give anything away here, but yeah, anyway. Uh, so yeah, I look forward to discussing that on the show next year. That's that's a given, and I'm looking forward to that coming out on Blu-ray. I think that'll be a, a definite buy for me. That's going to be a multi-watch film. And actually, oh, my, my wife Joanne's been to see it twice. Yeah, I never want to watch it again. I think it's amazing. I love it, but it upset me too much. I never want to watch it again. So uh, you won't need to refresh yourself for the podcast? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take copious notes now while it's fresh, and then I'll hang on to those notes for a year. Yeah, good on you. All right, let's go all throughout around the table. Bernie Sticky. Um, I just wanted to mention the uh, the new new Pornographers LP. Brill, is it Brill? Brill Busters. Oh, Brill Busters. Yeah. Yeah, I want to talk about it, but I don't know what it's called. Yeah, it's fantastic. It I've got to be honest. Record, I'm, yeah. I'm a, a complete latecomer to, uh, well, I'm a newcomer to the new pornographers. Oh, wow. Well, aware yeah. of them. And you've, got, you've, got a great back, you've got a great back catalogue to go through. Um, well, yeah. that's going to be uh, my project over the next couple of months, I think. But uh, certainly the new LP is just fantastic. Winner after winner, really catchy, intelligent sort of uh, upbeat, slightly melancholic, sort of poppy songs which uh, with real kind of hooks that just drill into your head and just stay there. Um, you know, I so, yeah, think I've AC been... Newman's solo stuff too. I think AC Newman's solo stuff is great. I love him. Yeah, it seems that, uh, is it Nico Case? She gets all the plaudits, but um, looking hey, at all the songwriting no. credits on, on the album, it seems that AC Newman does most of the uh, the songwriting. So yeah, I'm definitely going to check out his solo stuff as well. I'm sorry I missed out on the last tour that they had here, but uh, my good friend Adam, uh, who's been a huge fan of uh, the pornographers for many years. In fact, actually, when we met and we uh, started out our band called The Shambles, uh, that was the first song he sort of played to me. He said, we've got to learn this song. And we did, uh, oh, sorry, the song was um, uh, Laws of Change from their uh, album Electric Version. Uh, oh, so we, we had this, we had this uh, three part harmony power pop band and I did the Nico Case bits he did the AC Newman bits but uh, I'm not as good looking I'm obviously not as good looking as Nico Case is but I think I uh, sang her bits reasonably well it's all in the eye of the beholder Morris and all in the ear of the beholder as well well yeah yeah is there, is there a YouTube footage of you guys doing that? or No, I don't think we have any... Oh, actually, sorry. we do have a little bit of video footage. This was the whole start of our love of acapella. I came up with this idea one day. I said to Adam, Hey, how about a joke? I've just thought about us doing Bonzo Goes to Bitburg by the Ramones acapella. And he shut himself laughing. I said, so he didn't like it. He said, no, I think that's the best idea you've ever had. So <laughs> um, that was the one song in our repertoire, unfairly, I think that got attention from everyone, that everyone stopped what they were doing to listen to us do Bonzo Goes to Bitburg. Uh-huh. So I we thought, well, we're onto something here. Maybe we ought to 
stop this power pop band thing and start an acapella group instead. And that's. Uh. But now what we're thinking of doing maybe is dropping the microphone and bringing out the drum kits and guitars and basses and piano and playing a song with instrumentation. What do you reckon? Will that work? So now you're going to go all instrumental. So are you telling us you're going to go from being a cappella to being all instrumental? Uh, well, just for one song, you know, just for the novelty. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I think you've cleared the room, Morris. People are going to be there. I, I didn't pay good money to see this. What are these guys playing at? <laughs> oh, dear. Never mind. Anyway, so, so you're Oops. really digging uh, the new pornographers. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fantastic. It's been on the turntable nonstop for the last month. I just I can't recommend it enough. Mm. One of my LPs of the year, easily. So, yep. yeah, check yep. it out. It's, it's, it is a great album. I'm, I'm glad that uh, you're on board. Glad that you're a fan. Heck, yeah. I just I kind of wish I hadn't, you know, it hadn't taken me this long to get on board. I should have uh, I should have been listening to them years ago, you know. But nah, never. There you go. That's, that's the beauty of music, isn't it? You're always discovering new things, coming late to things. and Absolutely. It's all there. So, and, and now yeah. you can sort of like go through their entire back catalogue and it's just going to be a wondrous journey. I mean, that's, that's a wonderful yeah. thing because you always sort of get to hear, you know, you hear about a band that everyone else has loved for ages, but you've now got that beautiful thing where you're discovering it for the first time, yeah. whereas all the old fans are just sort of like, oh yeah, yeah, we're used to that. They put out a great album a couple of years ago called Together, which I think a lot of their longtime fans were a bit lukewarm about. Yeah, I don't know why. I, I love it. I think it's just got great pop melodies, but maybe it helps that I've not sort of like been a long, long, long time fan. But, right. I mean, I love From Blown Speakers. That's my favorite album of theirs. But. Right. And, oh, and uh, speaking of bands that like coming to like late in the game, next week I'm going to go see Sloan. Yeah, you recommended them to me. Yeah, see, I know, but I mean, like, like in in the span of their lifetime, uh, I can't. You know, so like, it's good. I still had a bunch of albums to catch up on, you know. But uh, I'm very excited to go see Sloan next week. Really they, they've been around since like the is it like the early nineties? I think. Yes. Yeah. yeah totally. Right. Yeah. Wow, it's like twenty years worth to catch up on. That's great. Well, we we had a CD shop that was closing down in town. I think earlier on this year, and they were getting rid of it. You know, like everything for five bucks each. And I picked up a bunch of things, and one of them was. Um, there is like a compilation called A Sides and More or something like that. But the beauty was it also had a DVD of all their film clips. And in the extras, it had a selection of the band members talking about every one of the clips. So it's a really great little package that. So excellent. Oh, oh so, so when are you, when are you going to see them, Wendy? Uh, next Sunday. A week from today. We, we expect a report. We expect a report. Oh, right. yeah. Tim. Yeah. What's shaking? Oh, well, I just, uh, this afternoon, I uh, went and saw the uh, magnum opus known as Interstellar, oh, yeah. the, the oh, Chris okay. Nolan film, and uh, the one which he basically tries to get the entire population of Earth uh, off the planet, so he creates a wormhole in space with his anus and disappears up his own ass. <laughs> No, I don't know. It was, it was, you know, it's three hours and, you know, it looks pretty and everything. And a lot of people are, you know, bestowing the adoration. But I, I just thought it was, uh, it was a lot of twaddle. But anyway, whatever. It could have been so a 45 be minute episode of Star Trek. Yeah, well, it was just, it was just like, it just took so long getting to where it needed to get. And when it got there, you know, it was like, every, I felt like everybody in the theater was sitting there scratching their head going, what the hell was he going on about? You know, it was just, yeah. But anyway, um, the one thing I wanted to talk about that I think we might cover in the future is a uh, buddy of mine back in Canada, my good old pal, the hippy-dippy weatherman, he recommended a film to me that um, I had never heard of. And we're always bouncing back and forth off each other with weird little obscure nuggets. And uh, 
he laid this title on me, this film called Zachariah. Have you guys ever heard of this? No. No. Yeah, I've, I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a film from uh, 71, and actually it's the debut film of Don Johnson. But it's like this psychedelic musical western, and it's got, uh, you know, Country Joe and the Fish in it, and it's also got the James Gang and Elvin Jones and Doug Kershaw and a bunch of people. And it's this really weird, freaky, like, little... It's almost like uh, like uh, Dylan's Billy the Kid, but more musical, more more trippy and psychedelic. It's 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 really neat film, little film. It's fun. But oh. um, aside from that, oh, and the other one I saw that I had mentioned to uh, Morris when we were just uh, chewing the fat uh, during the week was that I saw the Atlantic story, the house that Ahmed built mm. about. Uh, oh yeah, Am- yeah, yeah. Ahmed Erdogan. Holy shit, man! Look. I mean, I knew, I knew how influential the guy was. I mean, obviously, you know, every every picture you saw in the seventies of Zeppelin, Ahmed was there. And I mean, you know, but going beyond that, when you you look at how his father was like a Turkish ambassador, and this kid's like, you know, basically like, you know, skipping school and ditching there, you know, ditching all these dignitaries to wind up going down to Harlem. And sitting in all these jazz clubs when he's like 16 years old, puffing on doobies and drinking gin. And uh, it's just unbelievable how they they bring all these people into the fold, like Ray Charles and Aretha and Otis Redding. And all, like, it's just insane how many people that they were able, like one guy actually was able to just pull into Atlantic, right? And I think the, the difference to me, which is amazing, between you know what Ahmed did and a lot of other producers did was that it's like Aretha says like she was on other labels where she had heard somebody's name but she didn't never even seen them face to face whereas Ahmed was in the studio making the music with the artist he he was sitting there the whole time as part of the process right he wasn't just a guy who basically put a signature on a check he was he was a dude who was actually there he wrote music. I mean, like a lot of the a lot of the stuff that came out, he he basically was afraid at first when Atlantic came out that you know the the label wasn't going to take off, so he basically put his name backwards on all the writing credits because he still thought he could kind of you know if this all went to shit, everything went south, he could still wind up becoming a diplomat like his old man was, right? So yeah, it's it's amazing documentary. I mean, just for the historical footage and everything and. You know, it's hosted by Bette Midler, you know, who I could give a squirt for, but, um, <laughs> you know, but still, I mean, it's it's a, it's a really good documentary. And it, and what's really sad is that they had no idea that, you know, Ahmed was on his way out when they finished it, you know. But there's interviews with him and, I mean, with, with everybody, him and Ray Charles and him and Aretha and, you know, him and, uh, what's his name from Island Records, Chris uh, Blackwell. Uh, Chris Blackwell, like everybody, man, it's unbelievable. It's really, really, really good, you know. Sounds like uh, sounds like a real treat. Look forward to um, hopefully uh, getting a chance to see that. Possibly our um, Australian centre for the moving image, Acme. It sounds like the sort of film that they'd get in. They got in um, the Muscle Shoals documentary at the beginning of the year. They often sort of like do a two-week season of music documentaries down there, so. Right. Yeah, hopefully right. they might get it in sometime next year. And a quick one I, I just want to throw in there, and I'll just keep it really short, is uh, I, I finally saw the, the new Nick Cave film, 20,000 Days on Earth. Oh, good. Oh. And I, I fucking loved it. I loved it. 
it was great because it's not actually a documentary it's a pseudo documentary where they set things up but i mean you get enough of a feel of who nick cave is he's not he's not laying it on i mean it's it's just like he really didn't want to do a straight documentary you know sitting down almost like a david frost interview type thing he, he didn't want to do any of that shit but in this film, he talks about the creative process and talks about, you know, memories and his fear of, of, of forget, you know, losing his memory and all these different things that you really get a feel of who, who Nick Cave really is. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a really fantastic film. I really highly recommend it. I mean, if you're not a fan, you'd think he'd pro he's probably up his own ass with this. But, um, but if you really respect him and uh, you enjoy what he does, it, it's, it's a treat. And you see live live covers with the band, like uh, live uh, performances of some of the stuff of the last album. It's really good. Yeah, looking forward to seeing that one that did have a uh, a cinema run here, and um, unfortunately didn't get round to it. But um, it'll probably end yeah, up on uh, DVD or Blue before too long. Same right. with me. There was a showing at uh, local art house cinema that we go to quite often, but um, it was literally just one showing, and we couldn't make it. So uh, yeah, DVD, Blu-rays away on that one, I think. Mm. Mm -hmm. Alright, um, just a quick thing I'll, I'll um, mention, I uh, got a chance to watch this weekend a documentary I'd wanted to watch for a long time and I know that you know, quite a few people were quite enamoured with it and it's good old Frida, about Frida <laughs> Kelly who was the secretary originally for the Beatles fan club and then found herself working directly for the Beatles as their secretary. She was employed by uh, Brian Epstein. And it's, I mean, look, basically the film, it tells the Beatles' story, but from a different perspective. It's her memories of uh, what happened and her little things about how she saw her employers. Uh, and it was, just, it was just a really lovely, gentle little film. It wasn't sort of going into any of the dark areas. Maybe, you know, just a little bit towards the, the back end of the story. But it was just really nice to get her side of the story she's just you know this i don't know i think she might have been 17 years old or something like that when she uh met the beatles you know she'd gone like many other girls to see them perform at the cabin and she was already sort of uh working a secretarial job somewhere dull but she sort of found the courage to go speak with them and then the next thing she knows brian epstein is hiring her to uh work at uh, his uh, family store nems and um, also as the uh, fan club secretary she gets pulled into and she was there like right from the beginning and you know she was there like I think one or two years after the official split up so um, uh, you know she'd resisted many calls to write a biography or to do a tell-all sort of story it was just a very gentle film and really really enjoyed it really lovely story i don't know whether uh, have, have any of you guys seen it yes i enjoyed it i thought she was very endearing i thought it was a feel-good kind of thing mm -hmm. same here I, that's uh, that's why i liked it you know just because yeah it, it wasn't it, it dramatic wasn't... it wasn't yeah it was just it was just heartfelt it was yeah i liked it I don't know if um, any of you, did you read, there was the biography from, I don't know, from the 80s, written by, I think one of their press officers, Peter Brown, and that was pretty sordid, and, you know, didn't really tell a whole lot of nice things, it was, I mean, okay, you know, there's, there's a real story and all that, but, you know, it's one man's word, and there were all sorts of things which I thought, oh, I want to bury my head in the sand, I don't want to know that, so I'm, yeah. I'm sort of glad that this was a lot more gentle and um, it wasn't about, you know, how they got into legal hassles and how they were slinging shit at each other. It was just, you know, her telling her relationship with her employers and how they're all good to her and 
you know, the things that she got to see, you know, they'd, they'd say, come on, Frida, come out on the balcony while we look at the uh, 200,000 fans waving at us upon our return to Liverpool after our first um, visit to the United States. And it was just, you know, she was still at whatever age she is at now, I think in her late 60s, sort of viewing this with a sense of wonder. Uh, it was just really nice to get that perspective. So, yeah, if you haven't seen that, film good old frida i'd highly recommend it it's i don't know if it ever had a cinema run maybe some festival run or something like that but it's now i think well, it's, on, on, DVD it's or... on netflix instant right. right now all right anyway we've spoken about uh recent events from us i hope that uh, you listeners out there enjoyed catching up with us and well now we're going to um have a quick break and then we'll get into the business of hand talking about uh, suburbia directed by penelope spheris from 1984 you're listening to see here we'll be back in a moment meet the kids from suburbia there's jack wake up and smell the coffee man sheila fast and my scars are ready joe that'll be there all your life and ethan i feel kind of scared you'll love them Hate him. Metal rejects running wild in our street. Book up, Dano. Their music. We're talking about kids. Kids like yours and mine. Well, I'm damn sure they aren't my kids. They're home. This is the best home any of us ever had. Besides, if we didn't have each other, we wouldn't have anything. And nobody's going to take it away from them. You shut up! You molested your own daughter, you scumbag. A new movie about a new generation. Suburbia. And we're back from break. Thank you for uh, continuing to listen to episode 11 of the See Here podcast. Much appreciated. And uh, just in case this is your first time listening to the podcast, what we do is we discuss music-related films. Although this is going to be an interesting topic of debate today because um, Bernie Sticky has gone and picked today's film, Suburbia, directed by Penelope Spheris. And I'm going to be asking you the question, is this a music-related film? But we'll get to that shortly. First of all, Sticky, why did you pick this film? And what's your connection to it? How long have you uh, been a fan of it? Or, or, well, let's presume you're a fan of it. How long have you uh, been aware of the film? Um, Well, uh, like a lot of films, which seems to uh, have affected me in my my teenage years, uh, I came across this one night on uh, a TV channel here in the UK uh, called Channel 4. Um, And basically, we uh, were such a backwater little country that we'd only had three TV channels up until 1982. 
uh, Channel 4 uh, then started and um, it was kind of uh, this sort of artsy upstart kind of TV channel. They showed a lot of uh, dramas and other things that might have been a little, um, I don't know, incendiary is a bit too strong a word, but certainly they were trying to, uh, you know, make a name for themselves. Uh, and after a, a few years, uh, it would have probably been 85, 86, they showed this one night and uh, obviously pre-internet days, I'd never heard of this. To be honest, at, at the time, punk kind of scared me. I was like this little, uh, being like 14, 15 year old goth kid. Um, which is, uh, yeah, no pictures, luckily. But yeah, th- there was something about punk, and particularly the American kind of hardcore type punk, which just seemed way too real and scary for me. And certainly at the time, seeing this, this kind of really fed into that idea. I mean, looking at it now, um, I'm not <laughs> entirely sure if it's the case. I don't know how realistic certain aspects of it are. Uh, but certainly at the time it was uh, I don't know it was a gateway into this other world which I found kind of fascinating and a bit scary at the same time mm. uh, and it really stuck with me uh, I didn't see it for years and years um, and then I think I bought it on DVD maybe about like eight nine years ago uh, and revisited it and didn't have the same reaction to it but still really like it uh, and a lot to recommend it I think very interesting film so, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I, I came to it. So When I started watching this, I've got like a bunch of notes written saying like, oh, this reminds me of this film and that bit reminds me of that film. But just as an overall sort of thing, before we sort of get into talking about you know, specific well, aspects, the well, film... Hey, like, it's funny because it reminds me of, of Bernie's other pick was the, uh, the reggae film. That is exactly what I was going to say. It reminds me of Babylon. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, I've got a thing about these uh, kind of youth cults, haven't I, I guess? I was going to say, do you, do you have a thing about uh, about uh, young kids who are trying to find their own voice, trying to make the break away from their parents' generation? Do you know, I think what it is, is, I'm going to, uh, you know, a bit of self-examination here, I'm on the psychiatrist chair, but um, I've always been one of those uh, people who just, I've always felt like I didn't fit in, no matter what my sort of peer group or whatever it was, and I always felt like a bit of an outcast. And, you know, this and uh, Babylon, you know, it, it's that kind of thing, isn't it? It's people who aren't part of the uh, of the norm, people who, are, who sort of come together because they don't feel part of the norm. Mm. And uh, I think in a, in a sort of romantic way, I always felt I was a bit like that myself. So I guess I that's think, why I'm drawn uh, to stuff like this. I think you can throw the stains in there too with this. Yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah because it's, uh, that's the film that really, I, I got... There was a connection to was the stains and just about uh, finding your way and and not having it turn out the way you thought it would and absolutely you know, and yeah yeah reminds me a little as, as well of uh, not a musical film as such but it's it reminds me a bit of uh, Dennis Hopper's Out of the Blue as well oh yeah absolutely for sure for sure so, yeah I was yeah. going to say that even though in some ways it seems like. Uh, a million miles away. Maybe it's not thematically. Uh, Penelope Spheris is, well, I'm guessing her most famous two films, you know, the Wayne's World uh, one and yeah, two yeah. films. I mean, it's in, in some ways it's you know a long way. You know, one's comedy, one's you know complete drama, and you know the it, it's, it's sort of I guess you know the Wayne's World films. Yeah, there's a lot of satire and that sort of things. But you know, at the heart of it, both films are about youth trying to break away from 
their parents' expectations, even if, of course, in Wayne's world, the youth are played by, you know, 30-year-old men, but still. Well, if uh, if you look at her filmography, it's, you know, it's kind of studded with films with that similar theme. Obviously, she did the decline of Western civilization films, but also The Boys Next Door and Dudes. I don't know if you've ever seen either of those. Oh, yeah, yeah anyone? I know uh, Eric Reanimate is a big, big fan of Dudes. Yeah, that's an odd movie. It's the, the tone in that is really strange. It doesn't know whether it's a comedy or a thriller or or what it is, but it's yeah, it's interesting. Mm. And again, it's you know, it's a, a couple of uh, punk dudes um, having right. an adventure. So yeah. So let's talk a little just... bit about what the, the the summary of the film. Uh, well, so, uh, the um, the story of the film. So suburbia covers the story of a group of punks who squat in an old abandoned house together. They're called TR, which stands for the rejected, because they've been rejected by society at large and their family, or at least they feel they have. So who wants to start off with their thoughts you know, story-wise uh, or anything they want to they want to cover? Well, I, I think it's... it's uh, sorry, I'll, I'll jump in if, you, if nobody minds. It's, it's weird because uh, uh, story-wise, it, it doesn't have much of a narrative kind of thread. Uh, through it. I mean, it goes from point A to point B at the end, but um, apparently uh, Penelope Spheris used a lot of actual young kids who were non-actors to give it a, a sense of authenticity, and you, you can totally see that because, you know, some of the acting is pretty poor, but um, I think it, it's really, um, and again, you know, Wendy and Tim, you, you can tell me if I'm wrong with this, uh, but it, it really seems to sum up and be about that sort of generation of kids post-baby boomer who grew up in the 70s, into the 80s, into the Reagan era. Uh, oh, and, yeah. You know, the, the dream was crumbling. It was shit. Uh, you know, the, the fact that they live in this abandoned house, which is on a whole fucking, like, almost a state of abandoned houses. Um, and, you know, you just see the uh, the, the, the squalor and the, uh, I don't know, just, just the kind of black underbelly of what, um, you know, what I, was being presented as, as Reagan's I was going to say, I, I was going to say that, you know, in the 1950s, you know, you had... Lassie and the nuclear family, but now Lassie's gone rabid, and you've got all this pack of totally, wild, yeah. you've got the, ra- wild the radioactive dogs. family, yeah, right. And you've got point. you've got the wild dogs that are just kind of like you know, like I say, pissing all over the image of Lassie and everything, you know. And sorry, I was going to say this is totally the flip side. If you think of movies like E.T. Uh, and those right. sort of early '80s big blockbusters. Um, that were kind of set in suburbia and, and showed it as this, you know, kind of beautiful place where everyone got along and it was fantastic. And, you know, this is probably a lot closer to what suburbia was actually like. This is, you know, the flip right. side of that coin. Sure. So before it became well, yeah. trendy to show films about the dysfunctional family, this yeah, was yeah. probably an early dysfunctional family film. Well, you know, yeah. one thing uh, I got out of this too is, um, are you guys familiar with the author uh, S.E. Hinton? Oh yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the outsiders. Yeah. Right. Well, this this totally, you know, to me felt like an extension of what Hinton was getting at. I mean, because even going back further, you know, generationally, like you look at, you know, the disenfranchised and the dark side of town or the wrong side of the tracks or those those kids that were kind of like the uh, collateral damage, you know, of uh, progress yeah. and capitalism. Yeah. You know, that's what these kids are and. You know, That's exactly what's really, it, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily really f- say that, that this is this is not like an early film about kids who are disenfranchised, but I, I see that this group of kids have banded together as a family, and that's possibly what separates it from a lot of what may have come before. I mean, I, I don't pretend to sort of like know a whole lot 
of what's come before in that regard, but this may be an early example of sort of like a, a metaphor for family. Pretty right. much like but, a, another film that we're going to refer to later on, no doubt. Well, you know, what's really funny is like, Bernie, how you were saying earlier about how, you know, you were a goth kid and that, you know, you really, you know, this was kind of something that you weren't really familiar with. I mean, you know, from my own experience, you know, I was big into metal. And then, yeah. you know, at, coming from a small town, we actually had our own family of extended family of kids from different high schools and we had bush parties and or we'd have house parties, basement parties, and everybody would be playing all kinds of shit. Like somebody would be playing, you know, like Motley Crue, and then somebody would be playing the Exploited or Black Flag, and then somebody would be playing Cindy Lauper or whatever. And uh, you know, it was right across the board. But then, you know, the more I got into like more aggressive music and that, and I got to hang out with people who were, you know, kind of beyond just, you know, hairstyles and attitudes. Um, yeah. You know, we'd we'd go into Toronto and we'd go to see shows, and then you know you'd have to wait until six a.m. the next morning to catch a bus home. You know, the Greyhound bus because they didn't buses didn't run at night. So then there is these group of guys. There's this band called the Bunch of Fucking Goofs, and they actually had a house. Well, it was a warehouse, and it was called Fort Goof. And uh, that's where, you know, they would have, uh, people would hang out after shows. They'd put up bands there. They'd play there because they were a band. They, like, they, they, they had dogs there, like their own dogs. So, I mean, watching this film was just kind of like, you know, yeah, I know what this is, you know. Like, I've seen this. This wasn't just something that Spherus thought of. You know, that would oh, make no, an interesting absolutely. movie. Well, I mean, no, no. I, I kind of figured, actually, uh, Tim, that y you would kind of relate to this in uh, in that way. So, uh, yeah, that's that's interesting you say that, yeah. As a teenager in the Philly hardcore scene, and of course, we had houses like that, too, you know? Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Anarchist collective houses and all that shit. I fucking hated those people because they were never clean. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, and you know, this is one I'm thing like, I you wanted have to... have ideals and do the damn dishes, people. Oh, right. Jesus. Well, here, he, that's just it. I mean, like, you just reminded me of something funny, Wendy, that was hilarious. Is uh, One time, I remember going to the squat in Toronto, and somebody having a pair of shit-stained tidy-whities nailed to a wall, like tacked <laughs> to a wall, right? And then everybody said, hey, man, come on, it's Christmas, you know? Like, do something about that shit. So they went and actually took a picture frame and put it around the shit-stained tidy-whities with Christmas lights around it. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just you know, the one thing I was going to say, though, like, about this film, I think, the you know, the initial theme of, of what's going on here is this idea that as much as you think there's unity and and they bond together, they're they're still segregated. They still reject things amongst themselves. Like like the group the, the group is called the rejected, but they actually are very different amongst themselves and there are things that they don't jive with amongst their own collective. And I mean I think that's really interesting. No, it's, it's that's is that because of the kind of punk ethos and the fact that it was about, you know, fuck everything and be yourself? Or was that just no, because of who they were as people? I think it was who they were as people because, yeah. I mean, you know, like, the idea, for example, like, you know, I knew people that were druggy punks. I knew people that were straight-edge punks. 
I knew people that were like political anarchist punks that were more, you know, intellectuals. I mean, there was all kinds of variations of people, just like there's all kinds of variations of any people. And I mean, yeah, totally. and I mean, you know, that's the irony is that, you know, you, you, you have, you know, the straights in this film or the general society looking at these kids saying, look at all these fucking haircuts. Look at all these fucking ripped up shirts and jackets and shit. What the fuck are you guys on about? But meanwhile, they're all very different. Because, you know, you've, you've got Jack, who's, you know, kind of the leader of them all. And, and, and Jack's kind of the smart ass. And he's this very dry, he's got this dry sense of humor. And, you know, he, you know, and then you've got the uh, skinhead dude. I forget his name. And, he, and he's got a real short fuse. And, right. you know, he, he's just more of an id. And then, you, and then you've got, you know, your, uh, our protagonist that comes in and he, he's the, the kid that, you know, basically he's fed up with his mother being an alcoholic and he just can't handle it anymore. And, you know, and then he goes to a show and you've got this, uh, druggy, uh, druggy kid who's part of the TR and he winds up dosing this kid and putting shit in his cup. And that's how he winds up being initiated into the fold is that Jack actually finds him laying out on the grass covered in puke and says hey kid you can't be laying out on the grass here man like come on with us you know and jack kind of takes him away and it's almost like jack's like this peter pan like come on to neverland like you know we'll take you back to neverland ranch you know like heaven hold back the tears your love runs loose in the wilderness asylum pushes me under Soft whispering from the dark of your love to me Like sunset, your love falls Ash night comes, speak to your lurid love In darkness, I know you The sunlight showers my rain Your movements obscure me Your laughter so lurid Well, see, here's the way how I sort of looked at the film And that's a really good example there uh, He's doing something... Um, uh, on the on the surface, you can sort of see it as uh, come be one of our gang, be uh, one of our crew, and yet I see him sort of doing something in a very parental sort of way. And there's all these moments in the film where, like, okay, so the common conception of punks uh, or any group who uh, set out to do something different from you know the straights or society or whatever it might be, but yet there's so many moments in this film where they're doing things just in a different way to their parents' generation. There was this moment in the film whereby, um, oh, I've forgotten the, the, the main protagonist who's sort of like, who we see get into the gang and then he brings in his little brother. So it's right. Evan, isn't it? Is it Evan? Evan, that's yeah, right. Evan. Yeah. Yeah. And Evan, you know, he's, he's there, he just thinks this is all a bit of a lark, this is all a bit fun. And then the, um, the girl who's the runaway, uh, she's reading him uh, like a bedtime story, and then yes, those, those yeah. two other punk girls come in and they say, um, "Oh, just because he's asleep doesn't mean you should stop. Kid. Read it to us. Read it to us." There's all these things about the family, so they they want the the unity of family. They want to reject their parents' generation for certain things, and yet they want what their parents gave them. They're still used to what their parents gave them, and. Um, and they also still carry on a lot of the the negative trends. From, from the last generation. Like, for right. example, I laughed at the bit where, you know, Jack's talking about his dad being a cop. He goes, yeah, my stepdad's a cop, man, and he fought in Vietnam, but that's not the worst of it. He's black. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they, 
they got the same. Well, they got the same prejudices. What was that? That other character, right. Joe Schmo, uh, leaves. Right. He says he left left home because his father was gay. Right. So right. What, I, what I like here in the film is that it's not one of those things where the whole parents' generation is fucked up, and it's the future is our kids. No, the the kids are you know in some ways. I mean, even though they want us to give them give us their sympathy, uh, our, our sympathy. They, a lot of what they do and say is pretty fucked up too, and they certainly well, do you know, some redeemable traits. Yeah. But there's a whole. You know what it is? It's it's like a, it's like a poison filtered through generations. You know where it's not it's not completely you know poison free. I mean it's just it's just a diluted poison. You know, if that well, makes you sense. Know, we're, we're we're kind of all like that. We've all got our issues that we've you know taken from our right. parents that they've taken from their parents. Right, but that's um, why I mean, and it's, it's yeah, diluted. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's diluted. Yeah. But it's interesting do, that they, that they present well, this uh, in a movie. Yeah, because like a, a lot of the time the movie says, right, it's going to be black and white, and parents' generation is screwed up, and the kids are all good. Spheris and Roger Corman have gone and said, well, no, really, everyone's you know, at least a little bit fucked up. And I, right. I really like how they've gone and taken... Uh, taking that attitude right. I just uh, I was gonna say when going back to what you were talking about the the kind of idea of family in this and how um you know they the kids parents aren't necessarily super fucked up or are fucked up or whatever I think the idea of the the, the group uh living together in the house and the, the family that they sort of established there it's kind of the family that they wanted if you see what I mean it's mm. not the family they have because you know, Jennifer's getting beaten, Bill, uh, sorry, Sheila's being beaten, and Evan's right. mum is uh, an alcoholic, and, uh, you know, Jack's dad is a black Vietnam vet cop. So, uh, you know, they, they want the, the kind of, I guess they want the ideal, they want what they've been promised, but reality hasn't delivered that, and so, you know, they try and make their own version of it. Right. Perhaps, I don't know, am I talking shit? I don't know. Well, you know, I saw this movie... Uh, first, like, uh, I remember I had found it on VHS, like, years and years ago because I was interested in the fact that Flea was in it. You know, that was my, in, in high school, that was my main reason for wanting to watch this movie. And, uh, and then I completely wiped it from my memory. And then to watch it this time, I inadvertently watched half an hour of the Richard Linklater film, Suburbia. <laughs> and I was completely confused. So I'm going on this movie by my vague, uh, uh half memory. Oh, so you didn't memory. watch it again for? No, I couldn't find it online. Oh, oh okay, all right. Whoops. Freeman Well, what did you like most about this film? <laughs> well, I mean, I remember at the time, it, at the time that I saw it, of course, I was very, very much into that idea of like, yeah, banding together, living in a burned-out house, and you know, all this stuff, and uh, but. But it's funny because after being into, you know, after like being in the punk scene and being in hardcore bands and stuff, like I fucking, as an adult, I hate that idea. Like I, I hate that whole like, uh, that whole grubby lifestyle thing. But it's, it's such a teenage thing to do though, isn't it? I oh, mean, no totally self-respecting crazy. adult would be, <laughs> would be living Absolutely. like that, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So this movie really, really does like, yeah, it totally does embody that certain teenage mentality very, very well. It does embody that whole certain point in time very, very well. And that whole sort of like getting away from your abusive scenario. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, background. Try to run the down. Background. Grab into the ground. Background. Try to run the down. Background. Grab into the ground. 
one thing I wanted to say that I think is kind of funny. Tell me if I'm wrong here, but I, I really think that it's kind of like, you know, the image of the dogs to me is very interesting because it's like, you know, this idea that they don't want to follow the path that their parents followed, but they want to be free like a dog, you know, they want to be able to run where they want to run and run in the pack. But actually, they wind up following, you know, being held on a tighter leash. And I think that, you know, it's like, like we were saying earlier, you, you sometimes unintentionally ape those of the past generations, you know. And, and, and I think that a lot of the actions that, you know, they, they kind of, um, portray a lot of the things that they go through are a lot of things that are indicative of where they come from yeah absolutely yeah yeah um i was i just wanted to come back to the earlier point see what if you guys saw remember um, when i mentioned about the reading of the bedtime story it brought back to me uh, boogie nights because there's that same thing about roller girl wanting to uh, look right. at amber waves as her mommy. Oh, can I call right. you mommy? Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, right. Fucked up people, you get these these sort of fucked up, you know, uh, 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 pseudo family. You know, it's that desire, that that craving for family so much. Yeah. Right. Sure. Well, no, I, I guess that... uh, damaged people have a way of kind of finding each other as well, don't they? Yes. Right. Yeah. When, when they've got that, you know, the, those not necessarily the same damages, but when they've got things like that in common, when they're broken. Right. You know, it's, uh, speaking yeah. of uh, speaking of broken, damaged people, the one thing that I I was gonna say that uh, I didn't want to forget, Morris, was the beginning of this film. Actually, kind of reminds me of Australia. <laughs> Dingoes <laughs> ate my baby. <laughs> It didn't go like my baby. Oh, really? You know, yeah, Mel, yeah. Meryl Streep can do many accents, but it sounded more oh, like yeah. a South African accent to me than an Australian oh. accent. So. Right. So you, you know That's that pretty... this dog attack at the start of the film was apparently uh, real. Apparently, Penelope Sphere has got a lot of the uh, ideas that she used oh. in this film from just reading newspaper reports in the, the sort of LA kind of area during that sort of period. And apparently wow. that dog attack did happen, and there were packs of wild dogs uh, roaming around. So oh, I got to tell you, that stressed me out the beginning of the film. For those of you who haven't it's seen it, it's pretty brutal, isn't it? There's, yeah. there's this, oh, the opening scene has um, uh, one of the uh, main characters in the film, Sheila, running away from home, and she you know, hitches a ride by um, the side of the freeway and gets into a car with this lady and her uh, young son. Uh, the car gets a flat tire, so she goes off to make a phone call by the phone box, and the the young boy she leaves him untended for for a second, and is attacked by this wild dog that we find out later on in the film as one of the pets roaming around on the property of the rejected headquarters. But before we know that, it's just absolutely stress stressful, and we're sort of thinking, yeah, oh, oh, yeah it's it horrible, needed? isn't it? Ugh, yuck. Well, okay, so one one thing that we haven't discussed yet. Is okay. So we've gone and you know, spoken a little bit about this bonding between this uh, group of kids who've all run away from home and they've gone and you know, made their own dysfunctional family. But the other main group in the film is you know, what you've, I think the phrase you used before, Bernie, was you know the straights. But you know, it's 
the rest of society, those representing you know, the wider society uh, in a group calling itself Citizens Against Crime. Now, they're everything that you'd expect in a movie featuring a group calling them Citizens Against Something, you know, whatever it is. Citizens Against Fish, Citizens Against Swimming Pools, Citizens Against Long Hair, Citizens Against Instant Karma, you know, whatever you want to call it. Here it's in Citizens Against Crime. In particular, we see things through these two rednecks one called Jim and one called Bob. Particularly unique names for rednecks in a film, <laughs> I thought. And they're at this meeting where they're speaking in the presence of the, um, the stepfather of one of the, the rejected, uh, the, the black cop who he f- refers to. And he's possibly the only sympathetic adult in the film. And so they're basically sort of saying, well, our brand of vigilantism is much better than your brand of law because, you know, we can get things done and you can't get things done. I don't know I'm sounding like one of the characters out of Deliverance, but that's my my Australian impression of rednecks, just as, you know, Meryl Streep is your impression of what an Australian sounds like. And it sort of reminded me of this issue of Mad Magazine that I read years ago, uh, where there were this, uh, this bunch of uh, guys coming out of a, uh, a porno cinema and one of them was, or one of them was reading a, a, a hustler magazine and saying, "It's disgraceful." The president of the USA in that magazine, you know, the, the irony there. And there's this great line between one of, between Jim or Bob or Bob or Jim or whatever they called each other um, when they're in the strip club, and one of them says to the other one, "Well, I'm not a religious fella, but." <laughs> I just think that what those TR, what those rejected punks are doing is sinful. It just sort of embodies everything that the rejected are, are um, well, that they're rejecting. It's, uh, that's not a subtle moment, is it? No. no but, <laughs> when he says that. And actually, just that brings me to one other point I wanted to make, is that this could have really quite easily been a bit of um, a shoegaze film. It could have been something about, you know, this group of kids who they're living this life that's, you know, it's pretty hard on them and we're supposed to have this sympathy for them, but not much happens. But being a Roger Corman film, something happens every few minutes. And there's really quite a lot of exciting things that happen, you know, where they're, they're going around uh, raiding garages to get food or where there's uh, an attack between the citizens against crime, committing crime by invading the rejected's house and threatening them or, or, or uh, something happening in the punk club. There's always something that's, you know, regardless of whether it's pleasant to watch or not, there's some things that are pretty hard going in the film. But there's always something pretty exciting going on, being a Roger Corman film. I think that that raises an interesting point. Do you guys think that you would class this as an exploitation film? Or is the idea of these kids and the punk thing, you know, is Corman just making an exploitation film here? Corman, obviously, Spherus, um, you know, based on some sort of current trend or whatever. And because, like you say, he does spice it up by throwing in the, the sort of action and violence and so on. So, uh, would you class it as exploitation, or does it kind of rise above that? I, I definitely think it rises above it. There was a film that I watched a few weeks ago, and of course, because we're talking now, I can't remember the name of it. But Terry Frost reviewed it on Paleo Cinema, and it was a Roger Corman directed film from I think 1962, starred William Shatner, and he was a guy who came to this small town in America. To cause uh, it's the intruder, isn't that's it? That's the one. The intruder. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm giving the game away. That is going to be like in my top ten films for the year. I love. No way. I loved 
this well top 10 first time watches for the year i absolutely love this film and according to you know terry he was saying that you know corman wanted to make or more films or he well maybe he thought corman should have made more films that weren't just out to so it'd be regular drive-in fare, and he had something to bunch, say. Yeah. Something to say there, and I think that suburbia is his something to say. Obviously, okay, the punk thing was—I don't know how big it was, but it was—it was in the news. So he thought, "I'll use this model to have something to say about disaffected youth because they obviously are." And whether you sympathise with them or not is not the point. He had this—he wanted to have something to say about disaffected youth, and he didn't paint them out to be angels because they weren't. And he, I think he treated the subject matter with, you know, with some level of seriousness. So no, I don't think that this was an exploitation film. No, I, I definitely think he treated the subject matter really very, very well. I, this wasn't like the Quincy Punk episode, you know? <laughs> no, it no, wasn't, no, no. Yeah, it wasn't that sort of punk exploitation, like, oh, look at how crazy these people are. Yeah, yeah. No. yeah. But I think that it's, it's half and half, in my opinion, because I think that, you know, for a lot of for a lot of people that never really had exposure to the whole punk scene, it, you know, it's an eye opener for those people. But for but for people that are in the scene, it's just like, yeah, what's the point? You know, I I don't see anything wrong with this. You know, mm. I, I I think it's I think it's half and half, and it's not like like you know, Wendy says it's not the Quincy Punk episode, sure, but I think that for a lot of people that have never really, you know, experienced the punk scene, they watch this and kind of go like, whoa, really? Like, you live like that? Like, wow, you know? So I, I, I think it's it's a little bit of both. Right. question to Bernie. We are a music film podcast, and thus far we haven't really discussed anything particularly music-related. Do you think that this is a music film? I mean, we do get three scenes of the TR group in punk clubs, and we do get uh, performances by one by a group called DI, one group yeah, by... Yeah, DI, Richard hung himself. Yep, another group called the True Vandals, Sounds of Liberty. And, and yeah, TSOL, True Sounds of Liberty, yeah. All right, so... Yeah. Let, let me ask the Vandals, you, yeah. So look, you know, me as not someone who sort of grew up with the punk thing, uh, so what's what's uh, the history of these bands in a nutshell? Uh, I mean, oh, do you know Do you know much Tim about the background of the band? These, uh, I'm fairly au fait with American punk of this period, but to be honest, not these not three bands. Okay. Actually, Tim could probably tell you. Well, this is before they got all keyboardy and weird, you know? Well, oh, what's really funny... Is at the beginning, you know, like the L.A., California, L.A. scene, there it really wasn't hardcore. I mean, like, like no, the one, the, the one thing that I think is very interesting about the California punk scene when it started was that it was so diverse. I mean, like you had bands like the Germs, and you had Crime and X, you know, and you had, you know, like uh, the, the Dickies later on. Like, like you had all these bands that were so 
very, very different. I mean, even even in the film, I mean, when you see TSOL, they're almost more like a new wave band, like a gothy. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, they're very crossover. new wave. something. Right, with keyboards and everything. And I mean, today, because of everything we've gone through, you know, with punk, younger kids today will watch this and go. This isn't fucking punk. What are you talking yeah. about, man? Like, oh, come on, you know. Like, but it is. It was. I mean, this is this is yeah. where everything derived from. You know, well, the, this seems more genuinely punk to me than I don't know, The Offspring or some. Right. Well, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. I think we've had this discussion on the podcast before, though, about what the definition of punk was, and uh, you know, punk was not necessarily about. Uh, the common conception of something like you know the the Sex Pistols or the Clash. I mean that was obviously part of it, but punk has come to mean something more about doing things differently from the accepted norm. And I think while we're discussing on the episode about uh, Heartwarming Highways, Highways, yeah, yeah, and we're yeah. discussing you know, that that sort of um, the alternative country movement got started by these guys who were in their way. Uh, that was punk because they were doing something yeah. different to the Nashville scene. So. Right. Um, any of these young snotty kids nowadays saying that's not punk, point them to heartworn highways and say, no, no, son, this is punk. It's all punk. <laughs> Going sure. back to your um, your question, Morris, about whether this is a music-related film, hmm. I mean, I, I would say emphatically yes. Even even if you didn't have the musical performances in it, which, as you say, there, there's three in there, uh, and you know they're all pretty good, and it looks like they were. I, I don't know if. Uh, I imagine they were actually playing live. It certainly looked like it. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I think punk, again, you know, from what you were just saying, everybody has their own definition of it. But I, I think the one thing which everyone would agree on is that certainly primarily, certainly in the beginning, it was about the music and this whole kind of culture which developed from that, you know, kind of wouldn't exist without that music in the first place. Right. So without punk, you wouldn't have this gang of kids hanging around in this house together. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's well, my take on it. So well, I think in that you know, respect, it, it definitely is. What's really funny is that, you know, the music is indicative of what you were talking about in the past. You know, you were saying about um, this idea of these these kids had an ideal of what they wanted as a family and they, they yeah. couldn't achieve that ideal, but they, you know, but they kind of created what they could. And I think that's the same thing with punk music, you know, with the whole scene. Absolutely. Was that initially, you know, I think a lot of these artists, they had this kind of image of what they wanted to do. And then they, uh, maybe they could. And, and, and what's really funny is that that can even go down base level as being able to play, you oh, know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and and then it gets it gets into this thing where, you know, they they do what they can as opposed to doing what they want to do, you know. I was going to say is, you know, that's totally the ethos of punk, isn't it? It's, it's do uh-huh. it yourself. It's right. you don't like what you, you're surrounded by, then you create your own kind of reality. You make your own music, right. you make your own lifestyle. Well, well, there's a scene, there's the scene when, you know, not to give away any spoilers, but when, you know, they're given the bottom line by Jack's dad that they've got to vacate. And um, the skinhead dude, he's just like, you know, yeah, your old man just thinks we can't take care of ourselves. Nobody thinks we can take care of ourselves. Fuck these people. We're going to stick around, man. We're not going anywhere, you know? Like Yeah. And there's the there's that that I mean that, you know, they're looking at the larger scale society and thinking that the larger scale society is condemning them or thinking that they can't function 
on their own and they're going to function by their own accord you know they're going to function by their own beliefs and and what's important to them so in some ways despite the fact that this is dated by its look it's still thematically very relevant though isn't it oh shit yeah man i mean like i would put this film i'm not kidding i would put this film on a double bill with rebel without a cause mm. yeah absolutely yeah Sure, for sure. I mean, yeah. you know, it's it's just, I could easily see one of the kids in this film just saying, you're tearing me apart! <laughs> you know, like, I, I can just, you can see that, man. It's just clear as, uh, you know, hand in front of my face. So, uh, yeah, it's still relevant now, and it will still be relevant in decades to come, because, you know, whatever the, the next youth culture is, whatever ways teenagers finally rebel against their parents, and, you know, Broke, there's always going to be broken people, unfortunately. Well, and it's well, it goes. It's not even. It's not even the broken. What I think happens is that you know, it goes back to like you know things that are go beyond Western culture. I mean, like you look at, you know, in Africa, the the tribal, the village as the family, right? Like you look at these, you know, like so many different cultures where, you know, if your father dies or your mother dies, you're still one of us. We'll still take you on. You know, like you you know, you still have a family, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I think, and I think, you know, it's weird in, in North America that we had our, our own families, but yet, you know, the idea of, of the village, the tribal family was, you know, this really kind of strange or kind of, uh, you know, odd, odd notion. But meanwhile, around the world and other parts, you know, it's it, that's the way it's always been. All right. Are there any final thoughts? Uh, um, I'd just like to say my favorite line of dialogue mm. uh, in the film. As I say, um, the acting isn't great, uh, to be perfectly honest, but a lot of the characters do deliver their uh, lines with uh, conviction. Uh, and there is a point where uh, Skinner, the uh, Skinner dude, who you know, mm. he's, he's got his like uh, combat trousers and his boots on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and this redneck guy says to him, "Where's the war?" <laughs> and he looks at him and he says, "Up your ass," <laughs> <laughs> which is you know perfect comeback, man. Snappy answer to a stupid question. Right. It's perfect. And it does uh, again. It's got the uh, again without giving anything away, but it does have that kind of early eighties downbeat ending. Um, yeah, where, well, you know, you know, nobody comes uh, out a winner, do they? Well, well, actually, uh, it, ma it made me think, and I don't want to give it away once again because it, it might um, people might be able to guess it, but it reminded me of a, uh, funnily enough, of a classic nineteen fifties musical. We'll discuss it off air. Sure, yeah, yeah but you yeah. know, yeah. I, I think you know say, which one I'm referring to, right? Yeah, yep. yeah. I was going to say too that um, if it wasn't for the nudity and other shit like that. Um, I was going to say that it reminded me of like a 1970s uh, made-for-TV movie. Like, you know, they, they yeah. always had yeah. those 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 American, North American, like Born Innocent with uh, uh, Linda Blair or like some of those. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they all, a lot of them all wound up ending the same way. Yeah, no, it is. But, it, um, but does that ending feel in this, again, without giving anything away, does it feel a little bit tacked on and sensationalist or, or does it kind of, you know, organically get to that point and make sense? It, it doesn't necessarily feel organic to me and yet I'm struggling to think, well, not how else they could have ended it, but, oh, look, gosh, the, I, I don't think, well, the only thing I will give away is that it doesn't end well. And no matter what yeah. they chose, 
it was never going to end well. Whether it would have yeah. not ended well this way or they would have fit, found something else to do is debatable, but it was never going to end well, and I think that was inevitable. Yeah, I, I don't know. Again, just a sign of the times, I guess. The early 80s, that sort of nihilistic. Uh, and, you know, well, I don't know. I'm rambling here. I was, I actually, so one, one other point I sort of forgot to make, um, and this is no big thing, but in terms of um, two other films that I thought it reminded me of. There was one, that one shot where the whole gang are walking towards the camera and then we see a side profile of them all in slow-mo and I thought Clockwork yeah, Orange, Alex and the Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. and in the scene where um, they're going around the neighbourhood, where, where they're uh, trying to gather groceries to store at their, um, at their yeah. squat, it reminded me of uh, the Amiga Man because even though his perception is that he's the last man on Earth, Oh, uh, no, yeah. In, in this in this bit, in their minds, they're the keepers of the flame. They really are the last people on earth because the straights is... the straights don't count. As far as, the straights might as well be the zombies from the uh, from the Amiga Man. So um, it's interesting yeah. that uh, you say that, Morris, because those scenes when they are driving around the suburbs, mm. generally they are just pretty deserted, aren't they? They are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which and they've got that kind of eerie quality to them. And I, so, I, I love yeah. that scene when I love that scene when they're pulling up in Jack's shit box behind the bus and the bus is just belching out all that black smoke and he just says, Hand me one of those bottles and you just see yeah. him, he just <laughs> fires at the side of the bus. Like that, yeah. that's that's great. Wendy, do you have a final memory from the last time you watched it? <laughs> no, but I'm I'm enjoying listening to you guys, so <sighs> A few other quick things I'll mention. Uh, mm-hmm. Films, again, in similar in tone and feel. Um, Close to the Edge. Uh, you know, the Matt Dillon film from, uh, what, 79? You mean, something you, like mean that? you mean Over you mean over the Edge? Over the Edge. I'm sorry, Over the Edge. Yeah, yeah, one. yeah, right. Yeah. And there's a thematic link here. So, uh, similar to Over the Edge, similar feel to River's Edge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other thing I was going to mention, the incidental music in the film, I found to be very effective and very good and very, uh, you know, evocative of that period. It kind of sounded like the wipers on diners or something. So, um, yeah. yeah or it re- well reminded me, so, me of uh, Repo Man before Repo Man. Yes, totally. Totally. Yeah. 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 I just but, want to say that this is a real postcard from an era gone by and, you know, it, it, it's really funny how the only one that's ever really got any, well, the only two that ever really gained any notoriety out of the film were obviously, you know, Flea from the Chili Peppers and Penelope's Fierce. But, um, you know, I think one thing too is don't go in expecting, you know, performances from these kids. If you go in just looking at them as kids, then, you know, it's more effective. But if you go in thinking, okay, these are all actors, because I think there's only two of them that were real actors, and the rest of them were just kids. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think if you just go in, you know, with that kind of realization or, you know, understanding, then, it, you know, it, I think it's a lot more effective. So all round, thumbs up, this is a recommend? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I love it. I think it's fantastic. It's, it's a real, as, as Tim said, it's a postcard from that time. It's really evocative of that period, which, you know, never going to recapture now. It's gone, it's history. But it's, I think in its way, it's a really powerful film. I, I, yeah, thumbs up totally. I love it. Mm. Yeah, same here, same here. Okay, uh, we're um, now at the end of the episode where we get to ask the next one in line whose turn it is to uh, pick a film and that 
be Wendy. Wendy, Wendy, hey, Wendy. So maybe we'll watch a different film to what uh, you select. <laughs> if you can find a second film called Beware of Mr. Baker, then go right ahead. <laughs> okay, so that's your that's your choice for uh, December? Yes, yeah, I'm going to the Ginger Baker documentary. It's easy to find. Oh, it's on Netflix Instant. It's, uh, you know, yes, it's very, very, uh, uh, we'll have a good conversation. A.K.A. Miserable Old Twat. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. It's, it's twat. <laughs> it is twat, Tim. Come on. We yeah, talked about on. this yeah. before. Yeah, we have. Yeah. You know, get get on with the program, you know. Show <laughs> show your show your allegiance to the Empire. It'll be it'll be it'll be entertaining, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I've I've wanted to see this for ages and I just haven't got around to it, so perfect excuse to watch it now, so that's great. I can't wait to watch this one and talk about it. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, well um Thanks once again for uh, listening to uh, See Here Podcast. Tell your friends we exist. If you want to communicate to us, send us an email. We're at seeherepodcast at gmail.com. Join the Facebook group. We're all very, very approachable. And please, you know, come and make some suggestions. Actually, we, we spoke about this on the last edition of uh, the show, where what we'd like to do from next year uh, is maybe do like every third or fourth show, make it a listener suggestion. Basically, you know, we're, we're up for uh, anything. It doesn't have to be a good film. It can be a shit film and we can spend you know, an hour talking about why we hated something or, you know, but it could be something great. But please, you know, make those suggestions either through the Facebook group or, or email and um, we'd love to follow up on it. So, um, yep, just give it some thought. We'll do something like that for 2015. And if uh, we get any suggestions over the next few weeks, we might make a listener suggestion our first pick of 2015 so we've only got one more film to go for 2014 and then guess what folks we're one year old it's just incredible holy shit take them training wheels off oh yeah (laughs) we're we're, um we'll be old enough to be out on our own how about that (laughs) well all right it's been a lot of fun and uh we'll see you um sometime in december uh, and until then, please watch some great films, be they music-related or not. Uh, listen to some great music, read some fantastic books, be nice to each other, start a podcast so we can listen to you. It's all very community-based, isn't it? It's all good. And um, we'll see you sometime in December. All right. Cheers, folks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Points.